we can outsmart those dolphins. Don't forget, we invented computers, leg warmers, bendy straws, peel and eat shrimp, the glory hole, and the pudding cup. I'm not gonna let a few hoop jumping tuna munchers push me around! And let's go. They've got an eight right here. The block but they come up the middle. He got away from Phillips. He comes back chasing. Look at Fields fly. First down. Here goes Phillips chasing the quarterback. Come out again with a block and a touchdown. Big play. Fields a run for 17. Back he goes. Here comes Chad. Here goes the ball. Touchdown. Moody. What a crab. Darnell Moody. And the Bears are back in business. Jones the block at the left tackle, time for Fields, now he'll accelerate at the first down and break tackles and he's after the races, oh he got a terrific block down there by Mooney, he's in for six, 61 yard touchdown run by the quarterback Justin Fields, the fake and a good one to the end zone, come on, touchdown, his second today. And those clips are courtesy of CBS Sports. And coming at you from the basement of the basement of WCPTA 20 in Chicago, this is a sports cubicle where the inmates run the asylum and our boss, I mean, Kenny yell at us tomorrow morning, Paul, we're working overtime here, but did, did you hear the news? There's a new manager in Chicago. There is a new manager in Chicago and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to go get Mark a box so he can pack up all his stuff. You ever hear of uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, Paul? Of course. Yeah, they have that little song where there's a line that goes, uh, the Dolphins make me cry, and uh, I kind of feel that way after today's Bears game. Yeah, except for I think it was the Dolphins made them cry because they lost, but this time you're crying because the Dolphins won. Yeah, Mercado and the Marvelous One will get onto that, and of course, we got some World Series talk here. I'm trying to find the silver lining, but I just don't want to admit to any of it. We'll get to that at the end of the show, and of course... I got to say, Mercado must be a psychic man talking about Dan Snyder selling the Washington Commanders. Do you think that means they'll finally get a better name, Paul? Hopefully. All coming up soon. So, Mercado, take it away. It was a hectic, crazy day at Soldier Field as the Chicago Bears fall to the Miami Dolphins, 32 to 35, moving their record to three and six. Miami now at six and three. But the big story is: Has Justin Fields arrived? Is Justin Fields? Him, QB1, number one in the program and number one in your hearts. Did it all come to fruition this Sunday in the lakefront? We're going to break it all down here on the Sports Cubicle Bears post game. It is the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, Paul Shabari, and myself, Mike Mercado. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Sunday, wherever you're joining us. And marvelous, just so many things to get into in this game. A quick breakdown of what we saw in Soldier Field as Justin Fields goes 17 for 20. 123 yards with three passing touchdowns but on 15 carries 178 rushing yards and a touchdown those 178 yards are a nfl record to him david montgomery touches the ball 14 times for 36 yards khalil herbert for seven rushes 23 yards on the receiving end darnell mooney with seven catches 43 yards and a touchdown and cole Komet with two touchdowns his arrival here in the Bears' future, five catches, 41 yards. Chase Claypool making his debut, a, a nice debut, and a very controversial one we'll get into in just a little bit. Two for 13, and marvelous. There's a lot of things we're going to get into when it comes to the breakdown of everything, but your initial emotion watching Justin Fields do what he did. I mean, the man showed up. The kid has arrived, has become what we're hoping 
maybe a long, amazing career for the Bears and a game that it felt, it almost feels feels incomplete, just like the Minnesota game. Another one of those, oh my gosh, why we just, we want to see the ending happen. So your thoughts of what we saw this, this game against the Dolphins? Well, to your opening monologue, yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Fields is, is, the, is the man. And, and there was never any doubt. Ask Jerry Riles. And, uh, <laughs> Shout out, Jerry. And, I mean, without Quinn and, and Smith, the defense was remarkable, particularly on fourth down. There was a major special teams blunder with a black punt that was the difference in the game, essentially. But the offense looks I, – I, I felt like the more receivers they have, the better. I mean, to, to have more targets helps Moody, obviously. And so – and Komet, it was used in ways that he hasn't been used before as a running back. <laughs> so they are being more creative, as I had hoped, because that makes them less predictable. And uh, I liked what I saw. And this is the most excited I've ever been about a 3-6 and six team that's about to be eliminated from the playoffs. <laughs> Marvelous. I am so glad you said that. I w- I'm going to tweet it out later because I want to stand on these words. But I think I need to put it in audio and video format first. This was Mm -hmm. the most entertaining Bears game I've ever seen in my life. I have watched them win the NFC championship against the Saints. That was awesome. The snow at Soldier Field, watching Brian Urlacher hoist the NFC North, the Hallis Trophy. But this was one of those games where it wasn't just the outcome of this game. It was the, the, the thought, the optimism of the next five years. The next 10 years in the most popular sport, the most popular entertainment in our country. And that a franchise, a charter franchise, franchise that I've never seen win the big one, that only once has officially won a Super Bowl. A lot of world champions, one Super Bowl. And I don't know if Justin is going to be the dude that does it, but for one afternoon and for the last three weeks, at least, no matter the outcome, it feels it just, it feels different. And I think that that's what this game really showed is it's not just Chicago hype. We we've covered enough sports here. We've watched enough sports here. Chicago fans love their athletes and we'll put them on a sort of pedestal. Justin Fields is going to be the talk of the NFL world on Monday. And he just hasn't done that against bad teams. He's doing it against Bill Belichick. He's doing it against Dallas. And now he's doing it against Miami who has a chance to win the Super Bowl. Now, we talked about, you mentioned the receivers. I like the fact that they have a bunch of giants at their wide receiver crew now. But I still want to make it known, make it obvious that it's still a bottom of the tier in the NFL wide receiver room. They're guys that try hard. They're not, they don't slack. They don't make, they're not, you know, they're not like a dumb, bad wide receiver room. They're just not the most talented. Then you look across the field with a Jalen Waddle and a Tyreek Hill. They don't even use Gasicki. That's how that's how deep they are. And mm-hmm. imagine if Justin had a Jalen Waddle or a Tyreek Hill in that pass that that St. Brown missed. And we can get into the Chase Claypool thing. It was pass interference. I do think the Bears did have a pass interference call when they got called. I think even though he was looking at the ball, you can call that in the NFL. I understand it. But for the Bears not to have the respect of the league yet. And that's what that call was. We see it in the NBA. You see it in, in, in strikes and in baseball. The Bears don't have the respect of the NFL. Justin Fields does. I think Fields has now gotten the respect when he's running from the NFL for NFL officiating. 
But mm-hmm. this Bears team has not earned, quote unquote, earned getting the call from these officiating crews. And this was a bad officiating crew to begin with. But what did you think about that pass interference that def- just derailed everything? I mean, the the if, after the fact that he was being held around the waist, yeah. Claypool, while well, he was gonna about to jump for the ball, I would have thought that it was a good play. Mm-hmm. There were two guys there, honestly, for you know to defend the pass, but the hands around the waist seems like a, a penalty to me. <laughs> so if it's not pass interference, it's holding. <laughs> so At least take your take your pick. So uh, that was unfortunate, but um, you know you can't uh, can't do anything about it. At this point, uh, it's, I guess it's not reviewable. So uh, what are you going to do? I mean, would have been nice to come out of this with a win. I mean, because they could have hit some momentum into arguably the easiest part of the remaining schedule. Because, you know, and and I'd like to see them get one more receiver. There's some. They're already talking about next year's draft. I I think it's time for Chicago to get another Jordan. Jordan <laughs> Addison <laughs> is, is, is a person they they could get from USC. So I mean, the more the merrier. And the defense seems to be okay with the missing parts. That was a concern, and I, and, and so uh, they would logically they would the, the, the score the number of points in this game would lead one to believe that the offense is is, is good and the defense is, is worse. But the defense looked pretty good on fourth down, particularly. So uh, I think that they're moving in the right direction. But unfortunately, um, this a win is a win and a loss is a loss. <laughs> Yeah, I I wonder if if you're the front office, right? If you're Ryan Poles, if you're Matt Eberflus, more Ryan Poles, that if you're looking at big picture, right? Let's let's talk big picture for a second, and then I actually want to get into the game. But the uh, the big picture of it is, I think if you're if you're Ryan Poles, you're sitting there saying, okay, we lost this game, but we got what we needed out of it. We saw the dudes we needed to be special, be special. Our Coaching staff is doing the right stuff, whether it's Luke Getzi is getting better by better every week. This is only his ninth time calling a game. And Matt Eberflus looks like he has the respect and, and he has his guys ready to play every single week. You will take this loss, I think. If you come out with the way Fields play, he's healthy, and you can move on to next week. I do think it's unfortunate that in this game you were able to win, but it was – Little things, you know, the defense. Yeah. I think it's a great thing for bears fandom and the organization that your best player is no longer on the defensive side, that your best player is your quarterback. I like that. That's fun. That's different. It's no longer, Oh, Olin Cruz is the best player on this team or, you know, it's Roquan was the best player. Now it's, it's without a doubt. This is Justin's team, no matter what side of the ball it is. And I think dudes will play for him. So it would have been nice that in the first half you make one stop. Just one stop. And I think it changes the whole game. And then special teams, something that, again, we're going to see over year, over the over the year of them putting them together. A block punt for a touchdown. That is the game. Like, these are moments that great teams, teams that are going to make the playoffs, teams that are going to make runs, they don't do that. And when they do, they're, they're like Buffalo, and you lose the game against the Jets that you're not supposed to lose. So it, it's little things like that that make you lose, but you still leave the game after we do this post game, after we complain with our friends, maybe after dinner, finally we relax, watch Sunday night, some Netflix, we'll relax a little bit. And we'll be like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah, they lost. But I will say this. Yeah. In the offseason, they're going to draft a lot of offensive players, I believe. I think they're going to spend all their money, and I don't believe all of the 110-plus. I actually think it's going to be closer to like 70, whatever, but it'll be all on offensive line. They'll draft some offensive linemen, but I think it'll be an offensive line 
It's going to be the front seven. That's it. And here's the thing. If you do that, that is a recipe for success. Invest on your defense from free agency and use your capital on the, the draft for either special defensive players that can't miss or surrounding Justin with the most talent you can. And when you do that, I have a question for you, Marvelous, and I have it for anybody listening to us here on the Sports Cubicle with the Marvelous One, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, myself, Mike Mercado. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV or leave a comment below if you're watching this video version on YouTube.com slash Mercado Airwaves Network. The Bears have the brightest future in the NFC North. I, and I want to, is that true? Because Bryce Young going to Detroit might make them special. They have a lot of receivers. They, they can't stay healthy in the running back position, but they have a lot of talent there. And I like Dan Campbell, even though he'll probably get fired sooner than not. Although not after this week, after beating Green Bay, but the Bears have the brightest future in the NFC. And that's saying something with Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. But Kirk Cousins is the quarterback there. And Aaron Rodgers was is the exception to the rule who's not proving the rule of an aging quarterback. So my question to you, the brightest future in the NFC North, is it the Chicago Bears? Yeah, well, I have three other choices. So it's not like I have making a choice out of 50. And Kirk Cousins went back to Washington and won. So I mean, and and Green Bay obviously is having their problems losing to Detroit. Is not that outstanding for them. So in a four-team division, okay, I'll give it to you. (laughs) They have the the brightest future. They don't have the brightest future in the uh, NFC. Mm -hmm. They have the brightest future in in the NFC North. I'll give you that. (laughs) Isn't that the the step-by-step process you want, though, if you're a Bears fan, right? Like, if we're taking this series, right? Like, let's say, okay, yeah, they're they're the brightest team in the NFC North. That doesn't guarantee you anything, but let's just say you are. That is the next step because the Bears being better than Green Bay consistently or being better than Minnesota, it's its own accomplishment and i think that is this is something i have been mentioning you know to anybody because i think it's hard for people to understand the and and you know this better than anybody for people to understand the 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 excitement that chicago bears fans have for a quarterback like justin fields because they've never had a quarterback like justin fields and it's not just his running they've never had a quarterback who changes the game like he does and he you got to keep him honest because he'll throw the ball and we've seen that he can make a big throw. And if he had up to top tier receiving talent that you get these guys, I and mean, we don't we don't know what the the floor and the ceiling are for for this dude. But I mean, for anybody who's watching us nationally, right? Like if you're a, a Chargers fan coming from Rip, Phillip Rivers to to Justin Herbert, right? Or if you're a Cowboys fan from Tony Romo to Dak Prescott and 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 Troy Aikman, and you know you just go down the list, right? Of all these other NFL teams who've had quarterbacks to explain what Bears fans are feeling right now. Uh, I I agree with that. Here's the amazing thing. Think about the last home game they had (laughs) against Washington. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe the the, the visual progress since Washington (laughs) in all phases. Because Washington, they look pretty hopeless. (laughs) And the New England and Dallas games gave you some indication that they were moving forward offensively. And this was a total offensive show. They did everything correctly in offense, and uh, they came up short against a team that will make the playoffs more than likely with uh, amazing <laughs> receiver cores. Speaking mm-hmm. of receiver cores, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're off, off the chart. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was, to win this game would have been really nice, and it was there to be won. Thank you, Mr. Referee. And um, they didn't, so what are you going to do? 
<laughs> I think, and you, we talked about it, right? Like Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill specifically as we got to watch them. But you also see it with the Eagles. And the thing these teams have in common is not only the young quarterback, but it's quarterbacks people were questioning, right? Nobody questions Joe Burrow or or Justin Herbert the way they do Tua, or at least the way they did for Tua, Jalen Hurts, and now they're doing for Justin. Because they weren't even questioning Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence the way they did Justin Fields. So I think these guys have in common – with Tua and Hurts, they surrounded these dudes with unicorns. A.J. Brown is uh, is unbelievable. Devontae Smith is a nice second receiver. Dallas Goddard. And then you have Miles Sanders, and it's like they have a nice team. If Tua with his unicorns, it makes you start thinking, well, what if? What if? Like Kyler Murray has DeAndre Hopkins, and DeAndre Hopkins bails him out of how many mistakes? And I think that's the one thing I want to see moving forward is somebody from the receiving core bail out Justin Fields. Not the opposite. Not Justin Fields constantly having to bail you out. Somebody else making a play that saves the day. And that's what this Bears team is still missing. Absolutely. But uh, they still have so many potential weapons. Think about the, the fact that Montgomery wasn't used that much. So in the next game, maybe he'll be used a lot. And and so they can do a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that for whatever reason, uh, Fields looked more elusive today. I mean, he he looked like he was d- uh, d- down and out. He was in the grass of people. I mean, unless he had put on slippery juice or something, it, it seemed like he was he was very elusive as a runner, uh, which made me feel better because whenever he takes off, I, I'm afraid of him being, <laughs> being his last play of the game. You know, when he gets hit, so his slide is quite interesting. I don't think any other quarterback slides quite like him. Usually, usually they do legs first. He doesn't slide like a baseball slide. I also find that quite interesting because that makes me nervous too. But be that as it may, I believe that now there isn't going to be any quarterback controversy in Chicago for some time. I mean, that, so there wasn't going to be any this year because I don't think Simeon was taking over no matter what. You know, <laughs> Go no, catch. It wasn't like, you know, in previous, like last year where yeah. he didn't even, it wasn't the starter to be in the year. But be that as it may, this is, the future of the franchise, as you say, the future is a quarterback. Most, most in the historically, it's been the middle linebacker. It seems like <laughs> in recent history, but here we've got uh, the franchise quarterback, and now they have to build the pieces to make make them you know, Super Bowl contenders. That's that's the goal, obviously. So I know it's weird after a loss saying these things, but if you're looking for the optimism, right? If you're looking, look, if there's enough negativity in the world and we will trust me, there'll be games where he'll play bad. And there'll be games where this team just looks, it's the NFL. We know it's going to happen. But start taking inventory around the league. Matthew Stafford. How long is he going to be around? Jimmy G Gino Smith. That's just the, and Kylo Murray. That's just the NFC West. Tom Brady. Are you worried about, uh, 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 are you worried about uh, PJ Walker? Are you worried about Sam Darnold? Are you worried about Baker Mayfield? You know, Jameis Winston. Start doing inventory around mm-hmm. the the NFC, and you start feeling a little bit better. It yeah. still is going to take the front. Look at the the team right now and the coaching staff are performing and doing their their part of the job. They're they're pulling their end of the rope. In a few months. This is going to fall right back on the McCaskies and more importantly, Ryan Poles. 
So it's soon going to be his time. And you and I and everybody here in the sports kid are going to have a great time yeah. talking about that's going to be very fun. And we're going to have a keen eye on that. But that is something right. on the pipeline. So I'm looking. I think this is a best case scenario for the Bears when you see them going, you know, uh, 10 for 16 from third down efficiency, one for two on fourth down, only giving up two sacks, one, both of them very late. And, you know, four penalties is a lot. But again, I didn't love the officiating this game, which I'm not somebody who even talks about officiating. They had the ball for 34 minutes, they 368 total yards, another 200 plus rushing day, 252 to be exact, and 116 passing yards like it is what you wanted if you're doing the checklist minus the w but even then you get to go to bed night bed tonight wake up on monday enjoy the rest of the week until next week yeah. thinking what if well what if be the optimist lions Falcons, jets we're six and six with green bay coming in i mean <laughs> that's it though like that's, that is what that's so, the goal yeah. yes yes it's the it's the optimism bucket it's the optimism uh, uh piggy bank every time they do something good we take an optimistic quarter and we put in the piggy bank and we try to cash in next season because yeah they should have been in washington they should have beaten uh the giants and it changes everything but instead they're developing they're gonna have a good draft pick we'll see so, Marvelous, any final thoughts as we look forward to the next few weeks of the Chicago Bears season? I mean, you look at their schedule. They now have the Detroit Lions. They have the Falcons. They have the Jets and the Packers. So, there is, in the next four games, plenty of winnable games. They're going to lose some. There's going to be some frustration. But I think, at the very least, again, more bites at the apple to see this team develop. Well, the good news is, is that they played the game today rather than yesterday's weather. I don't know if folks saw what, what it was You're like. You're in Chicago. Yeah. Tell them Northwestern. I mean, it was unbelievable. The 70 mile per hour winds where they were, they, they were using the place kicker to be a punter to keep it in a lower. <laughs> I mean, that, that's unbelievable. And we've had really good weather for the most part and for the games here. So hopefully that will continue. Obviously Detroit next week, back home. So it'll be a fun one that we'll be covering. And I think next week, look for a Bears win and another offensive explosion. But we'll have to see how practice goes this week. We'll see the injury report. But I think all in all, a disappointing end to yeah. a wonderful game by the Chicago Bears offense. And you get to enjoy the rest of a Sunday, Monday, heading into the next week of this NFL slate, knowing that for one week, you had the most special quarterback in the NFL. So I think that's something like how many times does a Bears fan get to say that? But with that, we want to say thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed this Bears recap, even though the Bears fall to the Miami Dolphins in a very tough game at Soldier Field, 35 to 32, the Chicago Bears now at three and six. Let us know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Make sure if you missed the show, find us on WCPT's SoundCloud. Download us there as well check out the video version of the show leave a comment see our amazing mugs over at youtube.com slash mercado airwaves network on twitter at sports keep it go tv it's the marvelous one dan marvel it's devin tingle it's paul shawari i'm mike mercado Kyrie Irving thing has gotten out of hand on so many different levels. And honestly, the only person to blame is Kyrie Irving. And I wanted to get into it just a little bit here on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Martin, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado. And, you know, this is just a story that it's, it's 
kind of just the the microcosm, the the a culmination, whatever you want to say of what we've been doing in this country, in this world for the last five, six years. And it's gotten out of hand. It's gotten it continues to get even more dangerous. And I do think that it's a nuanced conversation beyond what Kyrie is actually doing, because there is a lot of. A lot of a lot of feelings people have when we talk about black athletes and how it just seems that media just absolutely goes down their throats. But then you have a scenario like this where how can you how can you blame anybody for being mad at Kyrie, for questioning Kyrie, for putting it to Kyrie? And I want to get a little bit into this because the, the story has completely developed from no apology to a fake apology to getting suspended to now having the NBA finally say something, Adam Silver finally say something. And now we, it looks that we have what it's going to take for Kyrie to get back on the court. This comes to us from Vincent Goodwill over at Yahoo sports. The Brooklyn Nets have issued an extensive list of requirements to Kyrie Irving as conditions for him to return to the team. League sources told Yahoo sports Irving is currently suspended from the Nets for at least five games after a tumultuous week in which he endorsed an anti-Semitic film and refused to back down in media sessions. For Irving to return, he must meet with the media and issue a verbal apology that clearly states he's sorry for sharing the film and understands the film is harmful and untrue. He must also share the apology on social media accounts. Irving initially issued an apology on Instagram hours after his suspension. In addition, he must follow and complete sensitivity trainings determined by the team while also meeting with Jewish leaders in the Brooklyn community. And finally, if he meets the numerous requirements in the Nets satisfaction, he must meet with ownership and demonstrate this type of behavior will not occur again this season. The last of Irving's four-year deal that he signed with Nets in 2019. According to a report from ESPN, Irving did not respond to text messages from team governor Joe Desai after the controversy began a week ago. When asked for comment, the league told Yahoo Sports it was unaware of the depth of what Irving was asked to fulfill by the team. And the NBA Players Association said it would not comment on the matter. On Friday, Nets general manager Sean Marks alluded to things Irving would need to do to return to court. And after what seemed like days of inaction from the powers above, Irving it will take plenty for him to get back on the floor. This is coming off of what's happening with Kanye. This is coming in the middle of these midterms. It's election season. Things are just getting really hot. Things are getting really, it's things are getting really tense right now. And you hear it here on WCPT 820 AM. People are more than ever invested in, in what's going to happen this November and what's going to happen in 2024. So that's just the underlying thing. And then it's this anti-Semitism that's been around forever. But I think for me, what's disappointing is I don't think Kyrie's a dumb guy. I think Kyrie tries to be introspective. I think Kyrie's a stubborn dude. I think he's somebody who doubles down, who doesn't care about other people's feelings, who wants to be a, a martyr, who wants to be somebody who's looked upon as a thought-provoking person beyond just what people say playing basketball but he doesn't take that responsibility seriously because what that responsibility is you don't go after Nick Friedel of all people and talk about him wanting to get his five minutes of fame and that, you know, don't, don't dehumanize me when that's what you're doing. And then using semantics about the anti-Semitism that you shared on your social platform. I think for anybody, whether you're a man, 
a woman, if you're gender fluid, if you're Caucasian, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, if you're indigenous, anything like this should worry you in this aspect. These cries, these false flags, these these call to arms, these this weird thing, it always comes to your doorstep. It's never far behind from you. So right now it's anti-Semitism. How far along is it until it's a text against the black community again, the Latin community again, the Asian community, everybody. We see it all the time. This escalates when it goes onto people's platforms like this. Kyrie Irving's an important fixture in pop culture. And I, I understand it's not fair that we put so much onus on him and not the people in charge. I get it. It is frustrating and it, and it is hypocritical on, on so many different levels. But you can't be this, for lack of a word, for lack of a better word, dumb. You can't be. And then you can't say, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, if your feelings were hurt. And, and, and another thing, like, I also understand NBA players wanting to defend him. It's KD saying this got out of hand and this is getting out of proportion. No, my dude, because if the, the if, if the shoe wasn't on their foot and people were coming after anybody else's community, you would feel some type of way. And I, I've heard this before. Being pro-black doesn't mean you have to be anti this, just like we always with this Kyrie Irving situation, because I think that was the, the nuance of this conversation of this video that he put that that people are trying to articulate for him that it was. No, no, I'm trying to be pro-black. And this is showing that whenever you're trying to be pro something in the cost in expense of somebody else, you're doing wrong as well. You know, by any means necessary, many terms should actually be, could actually be implemented. This is not one of the cases when you're posting something on social media that you have a, that you already have a certain following that views you one way that, that is encouraging you to do one thing just to confirm that belief. To give them just that extra motive. Well, this successful, awesome, thought-provoking guy said it. So it's my duty to do this. And then what happens? What happens when in the name of Kyrie Irving, even if he doesn't claim it, even if he condones it, somebody hurts a Jewish mad woman or child? What then? You know, I, I get it. I get it. You're, it's It's hard. These, these superstars are held to a level that we don't even hold politicians to. Donators to. Lobbyists to. I get it. And I try my best not to do it. I, these conversations are not to, to just tear down Kyrie Irving and, and ignore anybody else. It's to remind anybody of any type of, of status. In a world where we don't know what's going to happen with Twitter, with Elon Musk owning it. That be careful with what you're posting. Be careful with what you're saying. Have some empathy. Have some perspective. Because that's all you want from somebody else. You can't be a true thinker and be close-minded at the same time. And that's what Kyrie Irving is. Or at the very least, that's what he's portraying at this moment. And it's nobody else's fault. It's not the media's. It's not social media influencers. It's not Nick Ferdell. You're bigger than all media, my dude. You're bigger than this little show than this dumb kid from Chicago. So just maybe think about that. Be better and don't try to be compared to guys like Kanye West. And maybe if it's, this is about mental health, being an advocate 
whichever way you can be is more beneficial than whatever video you posted on social media. Homer Simpson here. Uh, Homer, it's your stockbroker. Your stock in the power plant just went up for the first time in 10 years. So what's my stock up to? Let me punch that up on the computer. 25 cents a share. What should I do? Well, let me put it this way. You'll get $25 if you sell now. Sell, sell, sell! Woohoo! And one of the biggest wins in Washington football history, it was announced, the news broke, that Daniel Snyder had hired Bank of America Securities to sell the Washington Commanders. We are here on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, myself, Mike Mercado. And I wanted to hit on this story really fast. This comes to us from our friends over at The Athletic, from Daniel Kaplan and Ben Standick. Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, hired Bank of America Securities to, quote, consider potential transactions according to a new release from the franchise Wednesday. Snyder and his family own 100% of the team after purchasing the remaining 40.5% stake for $875 million in March of 2021. It's unclear whether the Snyders are considering selling their controlling stake in the team or a minority stake. However, Quote, we are exploring all options, a team spokesperson told The Athletic. The commanders and Snyder are subjects of two NFL-led investigations, both overseen by former Secretary and Exchange Commissioner Chair Mary Jo White, into sexual harassment and workplace misconduct allegations, as well as concerns Snyder held back revenue that was to be shared with other owners. The Virginia and D.C. attorneys generals are also investigating the team after an allegation that it illegally withheld security deposits from fans and kept two sets of books to hide revenue from the NFL in the past decade. Additionally, the D.C. attorney general has been investigating the commanders and Snyder for allegations of sexual harassment and worse plagues misconduct. And, you know, then this is also when the Colts owner, Jim Ursay, publicly talked about there is no reason for speculation and that they should be getting rid of them. And it's, this story is crazy. And I think what really surprised most people is Dan Snyder seems like the type of dude who's going to fight this all the way through. Remember the whole John Gruden thing happened because of an investigation into Daniel Snyder. So I think for a lot of people, this is a win in the sense that he's going to lose his team. But just like Sterling or, or Sarbros, like these guys are going to make a lot of money. Daniel Snyder is going to make $4 billion, $5 billion. And this is something I said on the Rewind Sports 60 when we were guests with Jerry Riles, that I don't find this as a punishment. You know, a lot of these guys want to be part of the boys club, the, the country club. You know, they want to be part of that exclusive club where only X amount of people on the entire planet could afford these teams. But at the end of it, he's going to go walk away for $5 billion and go do something else. Go buy something else. Wow. Having all these years and memories of owning this team. You know, and, and he's somebody who doesn't care about public perception. He never has. So I think when you're looking at a story like this, when you read a story like this, when you see just how this dude just completely trampled over the opinions and thoughts of, of tribes, of indigenous people, how he allowed sexual misconduct and bad workplace and always fought everything tooth and nail. And at the end of it, he's being told you have to leave this club, but here's a whole lot of money that 
you didn't have before you joined here. Now, for Washington fans, for the NFL, I bet you this is a good thing. We'll see what happens if Jeff Bezos is the guy who buys the Washington Commanders. But it's a story that's kind of bittersweet to me. Because even though he is going to sell his team or sell a majority of it or a minority of it, he's going to make a lot of money. And he's not going to be punished. Even after he says he has a whole lot of dirt on these people. When you look at owners, they don't want their skeletons to come out of their closet. They're afraid of people looking into their doings. You know, just like politicians, except, you know, owners probably have more power because they're billionaires. They're afraid of of these kind of threats. So I'm sure that they're trying to make this thing go fast and just try to move it along. It's like, yeah, yeah, we may not like this guy and he's going to get a whole lot of money, but we'd rather him just be out of our hair. So um, I want to know what you guys think, because this is multi-layered. This is so much. We're talking about people being questioned by the highest authorities in our country in Daniel Snyder and refusing to talk to, you know, attorney generals. And it's it's they're going to make an Amazon movie out of this after Jeff Bezos buys the team. This is a fascinating story that is just getting started. If you're looking for the kind of employee who takes abuse and never sticks up for himself, I'm your man. You can treat me like dirt and I'll still kiss your butt and call it ice cream. And if you don't like it, I can change. I like your attitude. Feisty yet spineless. He got trapped in a closet on his way out. I don't care. I haven't been this impressed since I first laid eyes on a young bootlick named Waylon Smithers. You mean? Welcome aboard, son. I got the job. I got the job. Woohoo! I've been clamoring for this since what? The February of this year? It's finally happened. Tony LaRussa is out of here. We already knew that. And the White Sox have announced Pedro Grafal as their manager. And I'm just really curious. He has no connections to Jerry Reinsler whatsoever. He's the former Royals bench coach. And uh, I made a little list, Paul, of all the reasons why I like the Pedro Grafal hire. Number one, he's not Tony LaRussa. Number two, he won't fall asleep in the dugout. Number three, he won't intentionally walk guys on one and two counts. Number four, he's not Tony LaRussa. Number five, he won't have Liam Hendricks on the bases. Number six, he won't bat off Lori Garcia. And number seven, he's not Tony LaRussa. <laughs> you know, it didn't even make it into your list, but it was the first thing that you said that I love the best about it. He has no previous experience with the White Sox. He's a total outsider, which was, I think, one of the most um, that was one of the number one things on my list of guys they should look at is someone that can walk in and see how they do things there and say, you know what, we did it different where I come from and this worked and I want to try it here. And it sounds like Pedro Grafal is that type of guy, the type of guy that he stresses communication and accountability. And it was so funny in the press conference, Devin, how the way that it was like everything that Pedro Grafal said he was going to do was all the stuff that we saw Tony La Russa not do in the last season. The total lack of accountability, the total lack of communication, um, you know, the, the lack of hustle, all of that stuff. It was addressed by Grafal, and, and I like him. I thought he won the press conference. I think it's an exciting time to be a White Sox fan, but at the same time, I kind of feel sorry for the guy because I don't know if he totally knows what he signed up for. Yes, this is a team that has a lot of... Uh... What's the word? History? Bad history? Bad experiences here? But again, the fact that he... Scott 
tons of baggage. Baggage. Thank you, Paul Aceus. That is the word there. And I think that might be one thing here. But as we've discussed, this definitely seems a lot more like this was a Rick Hahn hire and Jerry Reinsdorf had nothing to do with it whatsoever here. So it's like thing I've been clamoring when I say clear house, which they're doing. I'll get to that in a little bit. It definitely seems nice. I think if Jerry's willing to step down here and let Han make Han decisions instead of a, well, Kenny, what do you think? Or here's what I want here. Because we all know Jerry's ego has weighed this team down for the past, what, 40-something years now, Paul? Oh, the entire time, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the LaRusso hire doesn't happen without Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, having any any say in the matter. Uh, you know, just, just some of the other moves and loyalty moves, you know, the, the Robin Ventura doesn't become a manager out of nowhere without Jerry Reinsdorf. So it, it's, it, it's weird because this time around I, I had heard um, Ozzy Guillen was saying that Kenny Williams wasn't even in on his interview. Now, I don't know if that was the case for all of the interviews, but that's kind of strange to me that Kenny Williams wasn't involved. And then you say, well, Jerry Reinsdorf and, and how he has his thumbprint on the team. And you're right. This is like the first time you could say in 10 years that Rick Hahn finally hired a guy that he picked, that he wanted, and that was uh, a last-minute influence by a higher-powered executive. Yeah, and it's definitely nice that they're finally, you know, clearing houses here. You know, it looks like Miguel Cairo is going to be out of there, but, you know, we got Grafala manager. We got uh, Monto- uh, Montoyo as the new bench coach here. You know, it really seems like they're giving Pedro and Hahn kind of just complete control here too, which I definitely like to see the manager has the reins here. And it looks, I believe, other than Ethan Katz, they're pretty much getting a whole new coaching staff altogether, unless I'm mistaken, Paul. Uh, Kurt Hassler is going to return as the bullpen coach, but you're right. It's, it's really a brand new staff. As far as we know, we don't, they just know that's who's returning and that's who's on the staff right now. But we don't know if we're going to see General Boston or General McEwing or um, I, I had heard that, you know, the report was Frank Medicino is not coming back, and, and nor should they come back. I think it, it's been a while. You know, McEwing goes, goes back to, uh, you know, back when Robin Ventura was managing the team. So, you know, it's kind of time for him to go. Um, you know, he's he done uh, a great job in, in his role as bench coach and third base coach. But it's time to see him go. Same with Daryl Boston. It'd be nice to get some new blood in there. It'd be nice to see some familiar faces come back or maybe some, some new roles for certain guys in certain coaching positions. But, you know, it's, it's really time for the White Sox to take a new approach to things. And I, and I like the Charlie Montoyo hire, you know, former uh, uh, manager for the Blue Jays, former bench coach for the Rays. He's got a lot of experience in a dugout as a bench coach and a manager. And I think that can only help Rafal kind of, you know, have him be the right-hand man. And it kind of feels like when the White Sox brought in Rick Renteria to be the bench coach for Robin Ventura in the sense that, it, you know, if Rafal's not cutting it, like let's say this next season goes by and they disappoint greatly or we get two-thirds through the season and the White Sox are just playing way under, you know, way underachieving, you know, then they can always go to Grifo, or, uh, Montoyo and, and have him take over and hope that his experience – can can um, at least uh, right the ship. I mean that's that's a worst case scenario, but but it's nice to have kind of two managers. It kind of feels like you have uh, you know kind of two heads better than one. But of course the guy pushing the buttons is always going to be Grafal, and it's going to be really neat to see how he grows in this position, a new position for him as he's never managed a major league team before, but has managed minor league teams several years ago. Yeah, and it's some that's really uh, interesting thing that you know we've been discussing here. We got two guys with experience here, and guys who seem to have a little bit of control. Uh, when does the free agency open up again, Paul? 
I, I think now. I think now that the um, the World Series is over, I think today was the first day. Oh, I thought they had a grace period. But now that we see this, we see a lot more of uh, Rick Hahn instead of Kenny and Jerry getting in there with these free agent signings. Do you think the new manager, new bench coach, and just letting Ron have, con- uh, I mean, letting Han have control is going to definitely kind of sway who, you know, the players they might be signing the free agency, not signing old-ass veterans just so you can have them say they're on your team? Yeah, you know, that'll be interesting. Cause, you know, the Kenny Williams thing always felt like, yeah, well, like you were saying, that the, the veteran passed his prime so that maybe it shows up as Chicago AL on his uh, Hall of Fame plaque. But, I, you know, I, this, this really does feel, at least with the managerial hire, that it's, okay, Rick Hahn, this is your chance. Uh, maybe even some of the moves along the way, you know, this was Rick Hahn's rebuild, but it seemed compromised, um, you know, with maybe just some of the moves. But, you know, it, it'll be neat to see, you know, it, it's a lot of pressure on him this offseason. You know, you can't put the same roster out there on opening day and expect success. And they were talking about how in the press conference, how guys are playing out of position and, you know, they they need to, to address that issue. So, there's got to be moves. I mean, you know, they sure they might not tender a contract to Jose Abreu, but that doesn't solve the problem completely because you still have to figure out playing time for Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, and Yasmani Grandal, and you only have two positions for those those three guys without putting them in the outfield. So, you know, there's going to have to be big moves made in the off season. Um, well, you know, and and I think um, there was. I, I want to say uh, Pedro Grafal might have made a, an appearance somewhere with Yasmani Grandal, and, and that might give you a tell of, you know, there's still one more year left on Grandal's contract, so there's no way that they're just going to straight up cut him. If they trade him, that's another thing, but if they, there's no way they're going to cut Grandal, you know, at, at the beginning of the season. They'll try and get as many innings as they can, and if, if he's just not cutting it, they'll they'll cut their losses, but, but there's, you know, there's no way he's not making the opening day roster without a trade. And, and it's nice to see, I think, you know, Grafal's trying to establish those relationships and realize, you know, utilize the guys that he's got and, and try and build, you know, veteran leadership and, you know, and, um, delegate some responsibility to the players. So it's exciting. I, you know, I'm rooting for the guy, um, but I'm worried at the same time that, you know, it's the roster construction has not been uh, great and, and certain Players have uh, underperformed, and and is it fixable? You know, is is Yohan Mankata, um, you know, is is he ever going to be the Yohan Mankata that he was supposed to be? That was the number one prospect in the league, or showed flashes that he was a great hitter and and one of the best players in the American League in 2019. You know, are we going to see Luis Robert be the five tool player? You know, the guy that can compete with the likes of Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. and and those types of guys in the league. You know, Manny Machado's those guys. That, uh, that just have all of the attributes of being a great Major League Baseball player. You know, when are we going to see that stuff happen? So um, there, there's a lot of question marks on this roster that I don't know if Grafal can answer. But at the same time, I think we saw Tony LaRusso was not the right manager for this team because they still needed development. They weren't, they weren't the professionals. This wasn't the 1990 Oakland A's or like the, the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals. This was... You know, this was a young team that needed some direction and guidance. And at the same time, those are Tony La Russa teams that I mentioned that was a, a younger, more spry, more alert Tony La Russa in his prime. This is the old bear. You know, this was the guy that was way past his prime and heavy eyelids in the dugout and making weird moves and not listening to analytics. And, and so the Grafal hires, you know, it, it kind of felt like um, in a way better way 
it felt like the the move from Ozzy Gian to Robin Ventura. Ventura was the anti-Ozzy, and in this case, uh, Grafal is the anti-Tony, and that's why I think you mention it three times at the beginning <laughs> of the thing of all the reasons why you like the Grafal hires. He's not Tony Larusa, so anything can be better from what we just saw, and and it's. Um, you know, especially I think from it being an outside hire, I think it's a brand new day with his team and a step forward. But they got to make the moves. You know, they, they, they're still, you know, who's going to be the backup catcher? Um, can Grendahl really uh, live in a role with this? Who's going to be second base? Who's going to be in the outfield? Can they get another pitcher? What's the bullpen looking like? You know, there's still several question marks before I can look at this White Sox team and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to win the division in 2023. Paul, I'm going to smack the living you know what out of you if you ever compare going from Tony Lusa to Grafal from like going from Ozzy to Ventura. Let's not pretend that's going to happen despite Ventura having a pretty decent first year. But definitely, but you know what I'm saying in the sense that the, the juxtaposition of the two guys. It's not so much that Grafal is Ventura. It's just more of Grafal was the anti Larusa, whereas Ventura was the anti Ozzy. I'm just giving you, shit, dude. I know. Thing. I'm just saying, like it's you know, I, I would never wish uh, Ventura on Grafal's career. Exactly. Here now, let let's talk about what the White Sox could be. I actually saw a list. Of this guy who's predicted the World Series right for the past three years, and he says the White Sox are supposed to win it in 2025. So this may be the key point. But let's talk about what happened last night. Uh, the Houston Astros. And Dusty Baker, well, Houston Astros won their second ever World Series, and Dusty Baker won his first ever World Series. And I'm just, I'm indifferent, Paul. Like, I want to be happy for Dusty Baker, but at the same time, I just, I I can't get past what Houston did years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we have to let that go. They just happened to get caught. I think there were other teams that were cheating. Baseball's always been about cheating. So, you know, I think it's just that that might have more to do than. Uh, more so the, the, the sign-stealing scandal, I think it's just, you know, they've painted themselves into a, a not-likable team. You know, they were kind of the heel of this World Series in a way just because they're, they're the old guard. The, they're the, uh, the dynasty. They're the team that you expect in every year, and the only redeeming quality was that Dusty Baker still needed that, that one World Series title to totally, uh, you know, rubber stamp and, and legitimize his career as a true Hall of Fame managerial career, which was already the case. But I think this was this just bronzed it. This just you know solidified forever that they're already talking about how uh, you forget the five waiting five year waiting period. Let's just get Dusty in the Hall right now. And, and this guy's already talking about how he wants another one. And that, that was always kind of Dusty's thing. Was you know um, I, I forgot how he phrased it, but it was essentially you know I told everyone that the second one is going to be better than the first one and. You know, if I win one, I can't quit. Otherwise, I'd be a liar. So so I think he's pretty adamant about returning in 2023 for one more year with the Astros to kind of, you know, piggyback off of the success that they had this year. And they truly were the class of the American League and, and maybe even baseball. But but to, to you know, to juxtapose that team, you look at the Philadelphia Phillies, and they were a little bit more fun. You know, you had some, some boppers on that list, you know, Bryce Harper and, and and Kyle Schwarber and Reese Hoskins, you know, you had some some great hitters on that team, and and it was kind of exciting to see Philadelphia kind of come in as the essentially the twelfth best team out of twelve and work their way all the way in to the World Series against some really good teams. You know, they beat the Cardinals, they beat the the uh, Braves, they beat the, the Padres all the way up and, and made a great series against the Astros. I had a sweep predicted. I thought that it would go no further than four or five games. 
And the fact that it went six shows that, hey, the Phillies were good enough to snag two off the Astros. And one of those was a, a straight-up come-from-behind steal that they just took away in Houston in game one. So they were an exciting team. But I think Houston was the way better team. They deserved to win the series. I'm happy for Dusty. I'm happy that, you know, Jose Altuve at least has a, a non-tainted World Series title, presumably, allegedly, assuming that this uh, was not a, uh, uh, you know, full of uh, scandal like the, the 2017 uh, team was. But I, but I think we really need to let it go. I think, you know, the 2017 Astros are not the 2022 Astros. The Astros have always been a talented team, regardless of, you know, how um, well they were receptive to uh, anticipating what pitches were coming towards them. Um, they're, they're a really talented team, and, and I'm uh, happy to see in this era of baseball that there is a dominant team like the Astros and that they have a good guy manager. You know, and it's, uh, you know a lot of people uh, talked up A.J. Hinch and uh, how good of a manager he was with the, the Houston Astros, but uh, good on Dusty to come in in the wake of that scandal and be the guy that writes the ship, and they, they barely make it into the playoffs in that pandemic-shortened season get all the way to the ALCS 2021. They dominate once again in the division. He wins yet another division title. They get all the way to the world series and lose. And then this year, it's like they took the next step, you know, each year they climbed that mountain one extra step. So does Dusty have anything left to prove? No, but it would be kind of cool to see him come out next year and maybe give it one more shot and just see what he can do. But um, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if he retired. The way he's talking, I think he wants one more. We'll see what he decides in the next couple of weeks here. But if not, maybe uh, the Astros promote Joe Espada and, uh, or, or maybe bring Carlos Beltran back out of the blue, and we'll see what happens from there. I mean, isn't it amazing? Houston has an old manager who can win the World Series. White Sox have an old manager who can barely stay the hell awake here, but... I'm also going to go and trash the Phillies, not trash the Phillies here, but just kind of call them out. It felt like Tony was their manager last night with the good old Kyle Schwarber with that two and two bunt, but we only have a few minutes here. So I'm just going to end it uh, on this note, Paul, you know, seeing the Phillies almost win it with uh, Bryce Harper. It makes me realize how glad I am. The White Sox did not sign Bryce Harper in that big contract. That prevented us from watching Yonder Alonso, John Jay, Wellington Castile, Kelvin Herrera, Dallas Keuchel play for our favorite team. I can't wait to see all of them on the team next year. Wait a minute. Nomar Mazzara. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who else am I forgetting here? Oy. Oh, my gosh. I, I really don't want to start looking at lists. Um, yeah, the, the Nikki Delmonico's and the Daniel Palkos of the world. And the, yeah. Such terrible times we live through here. Hopefully, Pedro Cafral gets us out of that here. So, Paul, take us out of this one. All right, that's going to do it for the Sports Cubicle. Uh, uh, great day in sports. I wish the uh, Bears and Raiders would have won. But, hey, Liverpool won. We'll take that. Um, we're going to do it for the Sports Cubicle. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, I am Paul Shabari. Thank you for listening to the Sports Cubicle. We are found on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Free to Brittany Griner. Listen to WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your week tomorrow, 6 a.m., right here. What did I tell you about talking soccer on this show? Ah!